bit different, just slightly shorter because um, we're going to spend some time in prayer afterwards. I think when I was younger, I didn't totally get prayer, um, specifically intercessory prayer. I understood that it was important, um, but there were some things that didn't really make sense. If God was all good and all powerful and could do whatever he wanted, why did he need us to pray? So I think I kind of thought, sure, I'll pray a bit, but what's really the point? If God really wants it, he'll just do it anyway. If God um, holds all the power, what, what is the point? Other parts of the gospel made sense to me. The upside-down kingdom, the call to the last, the lost, and the least. But I thought, surely the all-powerful God could take care of the spiritual stuff. Why did he need me to whisper a request or two up to the sky? And there's obviously something a bit off in that theology. And I hope that most people here have a problem with that. And I, it didn't feel quite right to me either, but I didn't feel like I reached a satisfying conclusion to this puzzle till only a few years ago. One of the most memorable sermons I've ever heard was one that Mark Johnson gave. I think it was here at Blueprint, where he suggested that while God's nature was unchanging, we could change God's mind. This makes some sense when we remember that God invites us into a relationship, not a dictatorship. And that means that we must be able to impact God, or at least the way he acts, the same way in any close relationship in our life, we allow ourselves to be moved and to move um, the people that we are in relationship with. And some may think this sounds quite controversial. A lot of people believe that everything happens as God intended it, and that it is all part of his grand plan. But I think we know that this can't totally be right. While some suffering is redemptive and helps us grow, some things happen that make God weep and that are no way, in no way perfect in God's eyes. God might use them for good, um, but the loving God we know surely did not wish them upon us. The fact is, the idea that we can change God's mind or alter God's course of action is deeply biblical. All through the Old Testament in particular, people prayed and God's course of action was altered. This can be seen in Exodus chapter 32, Amos 7, Jonah 3, Jeremiah 18, the list goes on and on. Jesus also said, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. This implies that if we don't ask, it probably won't be given. Jesus is saying that through prayer, we can alter God's course of action. For me, this changed the way that I approached prayer forever. I realized that I had a part to play. I held some responsibility in the fight to bring about God's kingdom. Suddenly, prayer seemed critically important. In Matthew 10, Jesus gives spiritual authority to his disciples and sends them out. And then makes that same authority and power available to everyone through the gift of the Holy Spirit received at Pentecost. If the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us all at any time, in any place, why the heck don't we use it more often? Because our world sure as heck needs it. And there are beautiful things happening in our community, no doubt, but surely we can agree that Jesus promises a lot more for us than what we are currently living into. I suspect that our struggle to step into the authority and power that Jesus has for us 
is because we don't actually know him all that well. And that may sound presumptuous, but how many of us can honestly say that each day we have an irresistible sense of excitement at the prospect of spending time with Jesus? An overwhelming sense of joy and homecoming when we enter into his presence. Probably not too many of us. Maybe our prayers are something of a reflection of our passion for Jesus. In Mark 9, the disciples who aren't with Jesus at the time pray for a young boy who's having seizures and nothing improves. Jesus then turns up and heals him instantly and then has the cheek, the audacity to say that this kind of healing can only take place through prayer. You can imagine the, the disciples' indignation. What did Jesus think they'd just been doing? Didn't their prayers count? We see here that some prayers from some people seem to be more powerful than others. Not all prayers carry the same weight. We may recoil from such an apparent grading of intercession, yet we know that this difference we know this difference to be true in our own experience. Who hasn't found their faith levels heightened after a particular time of spiritual retreat or blessing? We all know of some old saint whose whispered prayers can shift things that entire crowds full of young zealots such as ourselves can barely touch. This is why if our mission for Jesus is to be more than well-meaning social work, if the gospel is to be shared with all of our human family, followed by signs and miracles, if our faith is truly to be real, deepening, transformative conversation with the living God, we must discover how to pray. This passion and conviction that I feel talking about this, for me, comes from a, a deep frustration and dissatisfaction with the faith that I've been living. I don't want to go down to the free store and hear someone's heart-rending story, and the best I can offer is practical support and a shoulder to cry on. It's sure as heck better than nothing, but we're selling ourselves short if it ends there. I want to speak from experience of the deep freedom and healing that is possible with Jesus. And I catch myself far too often praying that God will be with someone in their pain, in their illness, in their tragedy. And this comes much less out of a divine sense of this is what I'm meant to be praying for, and more a fear of praying for something more falsifiable and ambitious. Because that is often how we pray, isn't it? We daren't ask for miraculous healing or transformation for fear of being disappointed, or because we've settled for mediocrity, for less than the fullness of God's kingdom. I'm absolutely no expert. I don't know exactly why some people get healed and others don't. Um, some prayers seem to be answered and others feel like they get lost in the wind. And I suspect I'll never know. But I bet it's got at least something to do with how much we love Jesus. It rattled me when I heard stories over in India about how the spirit of alcohol addiction had left one of their friends in an instant, in a time of prayer. It rattled me that in their community, in only a few years, hopeless, traumatized individuals had become confident leaders with a white-hot faith. It rattled me the way prayer and the movement of the Holy Spirit was an absolute expectation for them, a way of life rather than some infrequent exception to the rule. Things happened when they prayed. It made me jealous and hopeful at the same time. 
Some of the stories in the book Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg, who started the 24-7 prayer movement, I think, are particularly inspiring and insightful. A Scottish prayer warrior named James Matheson felt a conviction from God to pray for all the Scottish soldiers in the Crimean War. He dedicatedly prayed every day for the soldiers. When they finally returned home, all the veterans were invited to a church service at which James was speaking. When James entered the room, the soldiers gasped in astonishment. Although James had never met any of them before, they all seemed to recognise him. It was later explained to James that soldiers were sh- that the soldiers were sure he had been there with them on the cold nights in the trenches. The book also holds stories of these 24-7 prayer rooms, which at times upon entering, people were hit instantly by the Spirit of God and brought to their knees. And there are many, many more of these amazing stories of things happening through prayer in that book, would definitely recommend. But the common thread, the thing that stands out to me is the time, the passion, and the dedication with which people came before Jesus and prayed. Apparently the grass by the stream where James Matheson used to pray had two mud marks for where the grass had worn away because of the countless hours he'd spent on his knees before Jesus. So maybe when the carpets in our own bedrooms have worn thin because of the hours we've spent in dedicated prayer kneeling before God, maybe then we shall know what it means to wield the full authority given to us by Jesus Christ. But for us to be sustained, for us to keep coming back to the Lord in prayer, we must be fueled by a passionate desire for his presence for its own sake. Even more than our desire to see his justice come, to see our friends and ourselves transformed, to see miracles and to see people come to know Jesus, we must first and foremost love being in his presence. And this is something that I'm just beginning to understand. Last week, I had the most beautiful time sitting, lying in God's presence in St. Peter's Church before going to the free store each day. Sometimes in active prayer, and other times just sitting and being with him. It was an absolute joy walking out into the conversations and interactions of the evening, carrying God's palpable presence with me. And no doubt there are some of you who are much further down this journey than I am, but my hope is that this would be all of our testimonies, that we would boast a deep love above all else, a love of dwelling in the presence of God. So for the rest of the evening, I want to spend time in prayer and in worship. And first, I would encourage people to find a space away from the chairs, preferably sitting, kneeling, lying, whatever feels right. And I think for 10 minutes, we won't pray. I want us to shelve our lists of prayer requests for ourselves and others and just sit in silence in God's presence. And then after that, we'll do some more active prayer, but let's go.